Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, increasingly, activists are coming up with uh, increasingly novel ways to protest the climate crisis. For instance, throwing tomato soup over Van Gogh's sunflowers. Now, you might think that's a bit daft or irrelevant or too far. But when there's an existential threat to the planet and when the traditional forms of protest aren't having much effect, is there such a thing as too far? The journalist John Gibbons has been pondering this in today's journal. Afternoon, John. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, Is it kind of a conclusion that none of us are doing enough? I'm afraid so. I mean, people have got themselves into quite a state about the, uh, I guess, the PR stunt involving the the, the Van Gogh uh, painting and the tomato soup. But the fact is, uh, this is really just a, an effort at drawing attention to, as you describe it, a, an existential crisis. And if I can translate that, that kind of slightly fancy word into into something that might mean something to, to people. I mean, an existential crisis, the, the climate crisis, isn't about bad weather in faraway places and things happening at some future point. I mean, this is something that is basically unraveling the global climate system. And and, and it's something that affects absolutely everybody, uh, especially the young. And I think it's important to say that the the two young people who took part in that protest, um, they're both, I think, 20, 21 years of age. Uh, And I I do feel at times I feel guilty about this as well, that uh, we're expecting young people like this to step up to the mark, take risks, end up facing criminal prosecution. And in the UK, of course, uh, the, the UK government has really ratcheted up their, their the ability to to take criminal action against peaceful process, protests, Sean. And this is kind of new because up until relatively recently, peaceful protest, uh, you know, the police might be happy about it, but you weren't, you didn't become a criminal for engaging in peaceful process, protest. In fact, most of us thought that the the, the hallmark of a democracy and the reason that we're different to China and Russia is that you can go out and even if you're a nuisance, you can make peaceful protest uh, and and make a general nuisance of yourself in order to raise awareness about an issue that's of great importance. Mm. And we do know, yeah, and we do know, of course, also shown from history, uh, whether it's the suffragettes or the civil rights movement or the anti-apartheid movement, these were civil resistance movements. Now, some of them did engage in, in disruptive and violent behavior as well, but would any of us... Co- go back and say, well, actually, the, the the suffragettes went too far. Really, now, did women really need a vote? Shouldn't they not just have stayed at home? Now, that might sound ludicrous in 2022, but I assure you, 100 years ago, that, that was the majority view. In fact, the newspapers, uh, the media of the time were saying, tut, tut, these women, they really just don't understand their place. But luckily for us and luckily for society, uh, they 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 chose not to understand their place and they chose to, to kick up holy hell, get out there and protest and demand their rights. So that's really where we are today, Sean. Yeah, no, I, interesting that you should bring that up because we are doing an item on this uh, later on, but, um, and some listeners may be aware of this, that today they unveiled, uh, uh, um, unveiled a plaque to a woman called Violet Gibson. Uh, it is at her childhood home in Marion Square. Violet Gibson attempted to kill Mussolini. She shot him and then she actually shot him in the nose uh, rather comically but, and then her gun jammed. But she's being commemorated as she could have, she came or at least she made a, a hell of an attempt to try and change the course of history and away from fascism. Now we celebrate that. But at the time she was regarded as a bit of a nutcase. That's right. And she was actually the, the at the 
behest of the Italian authorities, she was detained, in fact, in a, in a mental institution. I think she may, in fact, have died there mm. because, of course, at the time, uh, we maybe you could argue we didn't fully understand the, the menace posed by fascists like uh, Mussolini. But I think if I can take it back for a second to the, to the, I guess, to the climate emergency, I mean, this is the big one, Sean, far and away. And uh, I know you and many other people do understand this, but we're still, you know, we're still not engaging with it. We're not engaging with it, for example, even a fraction of the way that we engaged with the COVID emergency as a society, as a media. Uh, we are just still skirting around the edge of this and still, as I say, getting getting our pantyhose in a twist when people take actions that by, by historical standards are still remarkably, remarkably uh, mild. And I made the point in the journal article that over the last decade or so, Sean, about 1,700 environmental defenders worldwide have been murdered killed. Mm. Now, tens of thousands have been locked up by various repressive regimes, which unfortunately, I can add the UK to that list. We have climate activists in the UK who have been jailed and have been in jail, Sean, for six months who haven't even faced trial yet. They're being held essentially on what amounts to remand, uh, which of course is a form of uh, effectively incarceration without trial, uh, which again is the hallmark of a repressive uh, society. And this is the problem. We know that as people become more alarmed about the climate emergency. As people get on the streets more and more, the reaction of governments in many cases, unfortunately, instead of saying, gosh, we need to listen to the public, people are really concerned, it is, is let's bring out repressive legislation and let's lock up these troublemakers. Now, the problem is, uh, the troublemakers, Sean, the climate activists didn't cause the Northern Hemisphere to dangerously overheat in the summer of 2022. The climate activists didn't cause thousands of people to die uh, as a result of climate disasters right across the world this year. This is not their fault. What they're doing is putting their lives and their reputations and their freedom on the line to ring the bell, Sean, to alert the rest of us that something really serious is going on. And I did make the point, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a 50-something, so I'm a little bit old to be, to be in the younger camp, but far from it. But I did make the point that I'm increasingly as a journalist, as a human being, as a parent, I'm beginning to feel really guilty that I haven't managed to, to get myself arrested or jailed yet because I just wonder really what, what on earth are people like me who understand this issue? Why aren't we putting our bodies on the line? Why aren't we using our every breath every day to talk about, to warn about this emergency and so on? Instead, it just gets pushed in as a little item at the end of the news and a little bit here and a little bit of an odd thing there. And even, you know, it, we just haven't, and maybe, maybe this is beyond the capacity of the human brain. Maybe we were just not designed to deal with apparently mm. st stealthy, slow-moving crises like this. I, uh, that's something I'm beginning to wonder. I should apologize, Sean, as well, for anybody who reads the article today. Uh, it was filed about 18 hours ago. And in that time... <laughs> that's not your fault. <laughs> no, that's not my fault. But, but we have the Prime Minister that I referred to is no longer there, and the Home Secretary that I referred to is no longer there. So th things move pretty fast. I mean, you think the climate system is moving quickly? Well, try try politics. But, yeah. but, on, a, yeah, but on a serious note, I honestly, and I mean this sincerely, I cannot, there's nothing that people could do that I would regard, re almost nothing, as too radical in terms of, of, of ringing the alarm bell on this, because 
everything, absolutely everything is on the line. And this again, Sean, is not, as you know, from the fevered imagination of some climate journalist. This is what the mainstream academic uh, scientific institutions are screaming at us. And, and the scientists themselves, by the way, they've been asked the question, you know, how do you feel about this? And there was a survey, again, from Nature uh, magazine last year, and they asked the question of practicing climate scientists. 82% of them said they were alarmed and frightened by what's happening in the climate. So we have mm. this weird situation, Sean, where the experts are in a panic and the rest of us are going, ah, she'd be grand. We'll, we'll come up with something. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's an incredible uh, dichotomy where normally you can, might can say... I, can, can I just... Yeah. I, uh, like, there's, there's a couple of texts in front of me uh, that say specifically the soup on, on the Van Gogh thing. Uh, it was vandalism, not activism, says Caroline. They're nothing like the suffragettes. Uh, throwing soup at paintings is not peaceful protest, uh, says Pat. Is it arguable that certain types of protests, such as that one, actually dis- serve to distract away uh, from uh, the climate change issue because people have become focused on, on you know, what they did uh, rather than it's specifically about climate? And it, get, it almost gives people the, the excuse to not think about climate change. No, I, I, I understand that. But if I can go back to, the, to your, your listener there who asked the question about the suffragettes, I don't know if that, if that listener is aware that suffragettes uh, planted bombs in letterboxes in, mm. in London. They, they smashed windows, they set fire to buildings, and one suffragette threw herself under the king's horse and was killed. Now, did they distract from the issue or did they bring laser-like public focus onto the issue? Now, you need to decide that. And if I could switch that to the modern day suffragettes, the young women, the brave young women in Iran who are risking their lives by taking off their hijabs and demanding freedom. Now, should they too, should they basically go back into the kitchen? Should they not protest because they might offend somebody somewhere? I'm, I'm sorry to say, Sean, but the history of protest in the world, and I would add, by the way, 1916, should the people who went to the, to the GPO in 1916 to try to, 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 to basically overcome the, the, our, our colonial masters, they were, they were disparaged by many of the people in Dublin at the time as troublemakers that the, the city was flattened and people were inconvenienced. Here we are 100 years later there are national heroes. So I think I've got a feeling if we have a future that in a hundred years time, the climate activists, the climate protesters, the troublemakers, the, the nuisances, they're going to be our national heroes in the future. And, uh, and that, that's, a, that's a thought. But anybody who thinks that you can you know, disrupt a system that is set to destroy us by engaging with it in a sort of a polite, neutral way, I'm afraid their, their understanding of the history of protest is, is, is missing a few points. John, thanks a million for speaking with us as ever. That was uh, the environmental journalist John Gibbons there. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. Uh, after that, uh, the, most, the best travelled man in Ireland. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.